opposites attract, and then later on, and oftentimes in marriage, unfortunately, opposites attack. In my marriage, Gabby and I, we're very, very different. She loves education. She's always learning, always working on a degree. She's really smart. I'm, I'm really not smart much. She's a great communicator. She's got a degree in that stuff. I'm not. I'm not. She's really active. She loves to run. She loves to work out. And I love tater tots. So we're just, we're different. And it's good that we're different because if we were both the same, then one of us wouldn't be necessary. And you know, Satan's a divider. That's what he does. He still kills and destroys. And he wants to use our differences to divide our marriages and our relationships. Everywhere that we look, man, we see marriages that are struggling, relationships that are struggling. But I really believe that God wants to use our differences to strengthen and do something bigger, better, and greater in all of our marriage relationships. So if you were with us in week number one of this series, we covered the first vow, the vow of priority, that God is our one Our spouse is our two. This vow was that I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. And then last week, Danny spoke about vow number two, the vow of pursuit. And this vow said, I promise I will always pursue my two. And today we're wrapping up this series with the vow of partnership. I promise our marriage will be about we and not about me. The vow of partnership. Whenever we enter into a covenant relationship with our spouse, till death do us part, we say, from this moment on, life is no longer about me, 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 me. Life becomes about we. We together, we serving, we building, we dreaming, we growing together. So in my marriage, our life can no longer be about me. It's got to be about we. And so we're taking this vow from the same verse that we've used over the last couple of weeks that's found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. But today, we're going to look where Jesus is quoting this verse in the New Testament in Matthew 19, and then he's going to add some additional truth to it. Here's the verse. Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. A man leaves his father and mother, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. A man leaves his father and mother, and they is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This word, united, it comes from the Hebrew word. The root word is a cod, and a cod means to be completely joined as one. It's kind of like peanut butter and jelly. Who in here loves peanut butter and jelly? Everybody loves peanut butter and jelly. Everybody loves some peanut butter and jelly. So you've got two complete people. You've got, you've got peanut butter over here. You've got jelly. You, this, is, this is good stuff all, all on its own. So, so men, you can maybe think of yourself as the peanut butter because you're a little nutty, right? <laughs> Ladies, you can think of yourself as the jelly, not because you jiggle, <laughs> but because you are so sweet, right? Because you're so sweet. But both of these pieces of bread, they're good on their own. There's nothing wrong with peanut butter. There's nothing wrong with jelly by itself. But if you put them together, then something really great happens when they're combined. You were peanut butter, you were jelly, but now you're a sandwich. That's really good. (laughs) This is the idea of a cod being completely joined as one. It's intimacy, it's oneness. 
It's physical intimacy, but spiritual and emotional intimacy. And intimacy throughout scripture, we see that intimacy is a big deal to God. He desires to have intimacy with us, and he wants us to have intimacy with one another within the covenant of the marriage relationship. So Jesus, he continues on in verse six. He says, since they are no longer two, but one, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We hear that verse at weddings all the times. Uh, what, what God has put together, let no man separate. And separate means to, to, to pull apart. So what Jesus is saying is, is this marriage, this partnership, it's designed to be forever. This is my design. The idea of forever is God's design. So when two independent, isolated people come together, they become something different. They become one, like this sandwich. And, and I think one of the reasons that God designs for marriages to be a forever unity is because if something or someone comes and tears them apart, it changes things. And, and sometimes someone get, gets hurt. It's like this peanut butter and jelly sandwich. When you pull it apart, it's different now. It changes things. It takes some stuff with it, and it leaves some stuff behind. And so I think it's important that we're sensitive to this as a church because we understand that there are many people in our church family that have experienced the pain and the brokenness of their marriage not being forever. And they've had their marriage end up torn apart in divorce. And I've seen this hurt, this pain, and the effects of this within, within my family. And I, I know that there are so many that would say that I didn't want it. I never wanted this to happen. I would have done anything to keep this from happening. But it happened. And it hurt. And then there's other people in here that would say, you know what, I did some things that were absolutely stupid and I was really at fault in many ways. And man, if you haven't repented for that stuff, I encourage you to do so today. Reverend Billy Graham, who passed away this week, everybody give it up for Billy Graham. A legend went on to be with the Lord. But Billy Graham, he said, God takes sin seriously and he also takes redemption seriously. Man, aren't you thankful for that? There's no guilt. There's no shame or condemnation in Christ. There's no guilt, shame, or condemnation in this church. We say it. We believe it. We say that everyone's welcome, that nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. So when you take the responsibility and have the heart of a repentance, healing, and restoration, I can't, they will, they can, and they will happen. So we invite you, man, if you, if you did some things and screwed some things up, we invite you to ask forgiveness and to move on. Real quick side note, if you're, if you're a father in here and you aren't paying child support and you've washed your hands of your responsibility for your children, man, I want to personally invite you to meet me at the baptism tank after service. I'd like to hold you under for just a little. We've got some guys that come to this church that we're barely, they're barely saved and we'd like to We'd like to have some fun. No, I'm serious. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But not, not, not really. But seriously. Seriously, you and mom might have not been able to keep it together. You might have been gone your separate ways. But man, as a father, you still have a, you still have a partnership and a responsibility to provide for your kids. And if, man, if you, need, if you need some work, I, I'm sure there's several guys in here that would love to put you to work tomorrow. And we'll pay your kids directly. But I'm serious, man. You guys got to take, we got to take responsibility for our kids. So that was just a side note. I'm not going to talk about that. But back to the message. It's not what we do that defines us. It's what we continue to do. So I know that we can't change the past. We can't change what has happened. 
we're moving forward this morning. That's what we're doing. So never let your memories be greater than the dreams and the plans that God has for your life because you're not condemned by your past. Your past doesn't define you, nor does it dictate your future. So if you've been through some stuff in marriage, if you're at rock bottom today, I wanna remind you that rock bottom is a heck of a place to build a new foundation. So that's what we're doing in this series. That's what we're doing today. We're going to begin to build a new foundation that we can build up on for marriages in the future that will not only last, but marriages that will be God-honoring and generation-changing. Remember Matthew 19, 6, since they are no longer two, but one, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So this morning, if you're single and ready to mingle, if you're single for a reason, if you're married, thinking about getting married, would like to one day be married or one day be remarried, then I think it is important for us to know what kind of partnership it is that we're entering into when we decide to take the vows. And I think there's really two views on marriage. I think it's either a contract or is it a covenant? Is it a contract or is it a covenant? We live in a contract society. We have contracts on everything. Contracts on our homes, our cars, contracts on our cell phones, on our gym memberships. That's that we never go to. I, I know I don't go. But in fact, our society has become so against commitment that the new thing is no contract. Bail out whenever you want. There's a divorce lawyer on, uh, that, that has a billboard on I-10, and his advertisement is this as a divorce attorney. Double the size of your closet. That's the idea. If, if you want to double the size of your closet and you're in a relationship that you're not feeling anymore, we can take care of this for you. No contract required. Let's break the contract. A contract is an if-then scenario. If you do this, then I'll do this. A contract is built on mutual distrust. That's why we always say, make sure you get that in writing. And we say that all the time. Make sure you get that in writing. Since I don't know you well enough to take you at your word, I'm going to make you sign this piece of paper to say that you will live up to your part of the deal. So my wife and I, we recently got into rental properties. And I always have a contract, a lease agreement with, with my tenants. And the reason is that I don't know these people. I don't know who they are. Even if I did know these people, I would still have a contract with them even if they were family, especially if they were, they were family, because, because I want it to be very clear that if they don't pay, that they don't stay. I'm nice to them, but I like to keep it very clear that we aren't friends, that this is a business relationship. This is a business transaction. It's a contract. And the tenants, they also have it in writing that if, that if I don't deliver, if I don't keep the house in adequate condition, that they can come back at me. A contract says that I'm in as far as you're in. I'm in as far as you're in. Since I don't trust you, I'm going to have you sign this contract to prove you're faithful. And if you're not faithful, I can have some recourse against you. So to have a marriage contract that says you give 30% and I'll give 30% and we can have a great 60% marriage, a marriage like that will never work because marriage was never meant to be a contract. Marriage was never designed to have terms like this. A covenant is entirely different than a contract. A covenant isn't based on mutual distrust. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. We are both in this 100% with every part of our being. It's not an if-then scenario. Our God is a covenant God, and this is what he has designed for us to have in the context of marriage. Marriage is a covenant. 
The Hebrew word translated as covenant is this word bereath, and it means a cutting. It means a binding agreement, or actually it means a blood covenant. So in the Old Testament, when, when a bride and a groom would get married, a man and his wife, they would come together, and they would stand before a priest of God. And the priest, he would take a knife, and he would cut into the hand of the groom, and then he would take that same blade, and he would cut into the hand of the, of the bride. And then, then they would take their hands and they would touch their hands together, mingling their blood. In the book of Leviticus, it says that the life of, of the person is in the blood. So doing this was symbolizing that their two lives were becoming one. And then the priest, he would take a cord and he would wrap it around their hands together, showing that the two had become one flesh and that this would be something that would not be easily broken. And then they would go off on their honeymoon and take on this whole one flesh game to the next level. This marriage covenant, it's deep, and this idea of one flesh is reserved to be in the context of marriage. A lot of what happens today is people do married things before they're married, right? I, I think we like each other. Man, she's smoking, hot that is, smoking something. <laughs> We're both paying for our own place. Man, let's save some money. It's, it's rent's expensive. Let's, let's save, so, save some money. Let's move in together. And here's my toothbrush. That's your toothbrush. It's so cute. Let's, let's, buy, let's buy a sofa and, and I'll buy a coffee table and we can do some married things. You know what I'm saying? If you know what I'm saying. Then what happens? I don't like you anymore. I see you looking and chatting up with that guy at work. And I see you checking out the figure skaters. So I... I'll take the coffee table, and you take your toothbrush, and we will go on. And this may happen with two people, with three people, five people, maybe 18 people that you're doing married things with. And essentially, you are pretending to be married, and then when it doesn't work out, you're practicing for divorce. You're pretending and doing married things, and then you essentially do what divorced people do, which is split up and move on down the road and try to start over. When what's sad is that, is that the first time that many marriages start to struggle, and they will struggle, is that people fall back on what they've been practicing for so many years. Because we did married things before we were married, and then we practiced for divorce, and now we find ourselves in a really difficult situation, and it's really just too easy to bail out. This is why we don't enter into a marriage contract. I'm in as far as you're in. Marriage is a covenant. I am in 100%. I think we should all remember our vows this morning. From this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, I forsake all others, and I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. So help me God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A covenant says, I'm going to love no matter what. Even when things get crazy, I'm going to love you. God said this to us, and this is the stance that we need to have with our spouse. Because marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is never 50-50. It's not, I'm in as far as you're in. It's 100%. Marriage is never dividing everything in half. It's giving it everything that you've got. It's never do unto others as you want them to do unto you. That's not marriage. It's, it's do unto others as Christ has done unto you. He gave his life for you, and that's what we are called to do for our spouse in the context 
of marriage. I promise that our marriage will be about we and not about me. A covenant marriage is godly leadership and mutual submission. A covenant marriage is godly leadership and mutual submission. Now, I know the moment that I say that word submission, I know some people freak out because that word has been often misused and abused, but please hear that I said mutual submission. When the Apostle Paul, when he talks about this idea of submission in marriage in the book of Ephesians, he starts by saying, submit to one another. Let's look at the text in Ephesians 5, verse 21. And furthermore, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. For wives, this means to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. This is not like a slave to a master. This is like a player to a team captain or to a coach. You're doing life together. You're on a team going in the same direction. You're doing life together. Now, now be very clear that Paul isn't saying that women should submit to every man or to an abusive man. He's saying to one man. He's saying to your husband. And ladies, I think it's very important that before you think about submitting to this man and getting in a relationship with this man, I think it's important that you make sure that this man passes a simple test. The first thing, it's the J test. Does he love Jesus? And then the second thing is, is does he have a J-O-B? You know what I'm saying? Does he have a job? For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Verse 24, so as the church, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And all the men said, yes, Lord, right? Get her done. No, I'm just joking. Um, whenever I read that verse at weddings, I always say to the groom that it would be great if the writer of Ephesians would have just stopped there with the women submitting part, but he doesn't. Paul continues on and he flips the script. And in verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he tells the women to submit and then he tells the husbands to die. Ihole! Come on. So I know, I know men, man, I know that men can sometimes, we can be more dominant and we can use our authority in abusive ways, but we need to remember that as men, as husbands, we are called to lead. And leading doesn't mean that we make all the decisions. That's dictatorship, that's not leadership. But as men, as husbands, we are called to set the spiritual tone and the direction for our families. So we co-direct and we lead and we lead our children into relationships with God. We lead with honor. We don't lord anything over anybody. That's not what we're called to do. But as men, as husbands, we lead by serving first and by pointing the family in a direction. Men, ask yourself the question, husbands, are you leading or are you forcing? Leadership is never forced. Leadership is always followed. Man, man, we've been given strength We've been given strength to protect her, not to possess her. She's your girl, but you didn't make that girl. You don't possess her, you protect her. And as men, we pray for her, we pray with her. We are called to be the priests of our homes, so we set the tone. So think about it, men. Are you a man worth submitting to? Verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ladies, wives, 
Are you a woman worth dying for? Can your loyalty outweigh your jealousy? Jealousy is not sexy. We need some women saying that I am with you in, in, in prosperity. I'm with you in poverty. I'm with you in rainy days, on sunny days, mountaintops and valleys. You can count on me. Years ago, a bunch of, a bunch of guys that I worked with, they started getting into, into motorcycles. And they were having such a good time riding all over town, going on hill country rides on the weekends. And they would always encourage me to, to, to go, go ride with them and to borrow a bike or to go buy a bike. Scripture says that I've got a future and a hope, so I decided that I shouldn't buy a bike. Um, but I, I did go ride a few times with them, and I would ride on the back of my friend's bike, and I'd wrap my arms around Brent, and that's just too close to be to another human man. Um, and, but he would always tell me whenever we were going that I've got to lean with him whenever we take a curve or a corner. He would say, always make sure that you lean with me because if, if you don't, then we could go over. And man, we need, we need some ladies that will lead. We need less guys riding on the backs of bikes with other men. But we, we do need some ladies that will say that I will lean with you through the transitions, through the turns, through the corners. I will lean with you. I will trust you. I will roll with you. So can you communicate, ladies, and not manipulate? Wives, you are your husband's biggest influence. My wife is definitely my biggest influence, and my best decisions have been from my wife speaking in my ears. What my wife says in my ears is ultimately the life that I'm gonna live out. Ladies speak a lot of words. They speak like 20,000 words a day. (laughs) Men speak a couple. (laughs) Ladies, are you communicating truth? Are you speaking life into your husband? When you're talking it up with your friends, speak highly of your man. Build him up. Don't tear him down. So men, ask yourself, are you a man worth submitting to? And ladies, consider, are you a woman worth dying for? Let's talk about some flavor. Who loves some flavor? Who in here loves some flavor? Everybody loves some flavor. I know I love some flavor. We all love some flavor. So real quick, I just want to hit on a couple of flavors of love that we need to have in a covenant marriage. The first thing is steadfast love. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now let's think about this steadfast love in the context of marriage. And I think you can put it this way. The steadfast love of a spouse never ceases. Their mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is our faithfulness to one another. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, we hear this all the time, that love is patient and is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. Man, that's the kind of love that we need to have in our marriage, that steadfast love. When we understand the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases, when we understand that about his love towards us, it will be easier for us to have that kind of love towards our spouse. 
The second flavor of love I want to talk about is Coca-Fo. That's right. Everybody say Coca-Fo. Coca-Fo love. Anyone in here like to be confrontational? Oh, shut up. I know some of you do. I know some of you do. A lot of those guys in the back, they like a little confrontation. Those guys are always right. If you ever need anything, just go, go, go talk to a sound man. They're always right. They never accidentally shut off the mic because they're just right. <laughs> but most of us, we don't like confrontation. I know I don't. We'd rather just avoid it altogether. And, and in the context of marriage, I think sometimes we can, we can just grin and bear it and we can, we can tuck it away. We can just kind of sweep it under the rug. But we gotta have some Coca-Fo love. And the first part of Coca-Fo is co, confrontation. And confrontation means to hold a person responsible for their actions. If I treat Gabby like a jerk, which it would be me because she's always sweet, but, but man, can I just tell you, I'm ready for today to be over. This has been a long day, and, and it's been a long couple of weeks because Danny asked me a couple of weeks ago if I could speak today, and so I went home and I was talking to my wife, and I said, yeah, Danny, Danny asked me to speak here in a couple of weeks on the, on the vow of partnership. And, uh, and so Gabby's been reminding me, she's been ripping me every day about this topic that I'm going to be speaking on today with a simple hashtag partnership. That's been her thing, hashtag partnership. She'll just say that to me. <laughs> so evidently the other day I took some clothes out of, out of the dryer and I guess they weren't quite dry. They felt, they felt dry because they were warm, but they, they weren't quite dry and I put them on top of some, some clean clothes. And, and, um, and so, so she sent me a text later that, later that day that said, thanks for doing the laundry. So kind of you to cram wet clothes on top of dry clothes. Hashtag partnership is what it said. <laughs> thanks a lot, babe. Then the other, the other day I was, watch, I was watching TV just trying to relax. It's been a long day. I was just relaxing. And she was in there doing the dishes and like holding two children at the same time. And, uh, and then she just said, hashtag partnership while I was, I was sitting in there. <laughs> Anyway, I got what she was, was throwing. But confrontation, it means to hold a person responsible for their actions and to remind them of their responsibility. So if I treat Gabby like a jerk, for her to ignore that is not love. Part of a, part of a covenant marriage and relationship is that she would confront me on those things. That she would say, Jeremiah, that's not okay for you to treat me like that or to say that to me. You're not loving me the way that Christ loved the church. That's not okay for this to continue. We've got to confront some things. I hate confrontation, though. I really do. But even worse than confrontation, I am terrible with the second part of Coca-Fo, which is communication. Communication. I have this thing. I don't, I mean, I really don't know what it is. I think it's a, deserve, uh, it's a disease. It's a, it's a nervous tick or something. My wife doesn't believe that it's possible. She really doesn't, but, but I shut down completely when there's conflict. I don't know what it is. I'm not proud of it. I wish I could change it. I'm sure that there's no other man in here that's like this. I'm sure that when you're, you get conflict in your, with your wife that you have plenty to say, and it, it, but, but when there's conflict between Gabby and I, it's the weirdest thing. It's like I turn, in, I turn into Helen Keller and I can't at all see what my wife is seeing. I can't say a stinking word. I can't hear her out. I would la- love to say something, but I just can't, I can't spit it out for one reason or another. And this may go on for a day or two, at which point I will go. And I'll, I, I love to tickle my wife because it makes her laugh. So I'll go and tickle her and she'll laugh. And, and then I'll assume, okay, all is good. Let's go have dinner. And, and 
but after she's done laughing, which usually doesn't take long at all, she usually says, do you have something to say? I always respond, I love you, sugar. And, and it's evident quickly that she was expecting more from me. And this thing that started on Wednesday is still in her head right now, so I better talk about it. And it had better be taken care of before I leave the house on Sunday morning to go preach about hashtag partnership. You know what I'm saying? The longer I'm married, the more kids that, that we have, the more I realize I communicate like a stinking toddler. I'm, I, I'm absolutely terrible. I'm working it all, on it. I'm working. I'm going to get there. But also, the longer that I'm married, the more clearly I see that there will be conflict. And most difficult for me, but most important to my wife, is that there has to be communication. And then finally, we can have the foe. Everybody wants the foe. The foe is good. Everybody wants and needs some foe in their life, right? And I'm not talking about Vietnamese soup. I'm talking about forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? We all need some forgiveness in our life. Forgiveness is the third part, a coca foe. And forgiveness is a willingness to lift the penalty of the wrongdoing and continue on with a loving and growing relationship. So let's be quick to forgive and not to blame. Remember, the vow for today is the vow of partnership. I promise that our marriage will be about we and not about me. Man, it's so important that we view our marriage as me and her. We are a team and not opponents. There's no I in team. There is an I in win, but there's no me winning in marriage. We win or we lose. And for us to win, we have to have some coca foe. So get yourself some Cocofo, confrontation, communication, and forgiveness so that things do not build up in your marriage. If you're married in here and you're sitting next to your spouse, everybody turn to your spouse and say, you ain't married to Jesus. <laughs> oh, brother, let me tell you, I know this. I think I married the devil. Somebody's thinking that probably. <laughs> but man, I think it's so important I think it's so important that we all remember that our spouse is not Jesus. We have to give some provision for failure. Your spouse is going to screw up. They're going to fail you. Marriage is two flawed, imperfect, messed up people coming together to be one. And so we have to have grace for one another. Your marriage is going to be as good as both of you decide for it to be. That's right. Your marriage will be as good as both of you decide for it to be. And I know that some of you are in a place right now where one of you isn't all in and you can't change that other person. But remember, marriage is a covenant and we're not in as far as someone else is in. We're in 100%. And I know that there are times when we don't feel like it, that we don't feel like loving, we don't feel like forgiving, we don't feel like working on this thing that's so important. But we've got to get over our feelings. There's no other area in life where you can say, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like feeding the baby today. Try that for a couple of days. I don't feel like going to work. I hope you don't like to eat if you don't like to work. I don't feel like paying taxes. I hope you don't mind a little prison time. Your marriage is not measured by your feelings. Your marriage is measured by your commitment. And I believe that feelings will follow commitment when we stay committed. You may say, but I'm not happy. I'm not happy. We fell out of love. 
And I understand that that might have happened. And I don't want to belittle that. And I don't want to say it's not terrible, it's not horrible, because it is. I don't want to say that you're not married to someone that is incredibly difficult. But just because you don't feel love doesn't mean that you throw in the towel. Bailing out because you ran out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. What do you do when you run out of gas? You fill it back up, right? You fill it back up. What do you do when you run out of love? When you're in a covenant, when you're in a covenant marriage, you fill it back up because this isn't about me. This is all about we. In marriage, I think we have two options. We can be united or we can be untied. And what's the difference between united or untied? It's all about where the eye is. If the eye is in the right place, we are united. And if I am in the wrong place, we're untied. So where do I need to be? As difficult as it is, I need to be submitted under Christ, serving my bride, laying down my life for her. I can't control what she does, but I can serve her with all that I can. Mutually submitting to one another. When I am in the right place with the help of God and when she is in the right place, we can be united as one flesh. And this will be a marriage that honors God, that is a testimony that goes against culture and is generation changing. This marriage will be about we and not about me. Let's pray this morning. Father, right now, we thank you for the gift of marriage. And we thank you for your word that shows us a design, a blueprint on what you have for us in marriage. And God, for those of us that are in this room that are not married and they desire to be, Father, I pray that your word would spur on a desire to live in a way today that would help prepare them for whatever it is that you have for them down the road. Father, I pray that you would help us to get over our stinking feelings and to be all in 100% that we would remember our vows and father for those that are who are married I know that there's so marriages in here right now that are in good shape father there's some that are doing good there's some that are doing okay that could be doing better and fathers there's some in here that are really really struggling some that are in really in need of a miracle and father we believe that you've always been and will always be a God who can heal, a God who does the impossible, a God that can com completely restore what we think is unrepairable. Father, I know that there's some spouses in here that have been praying for their spouse to come to church with them for a long time. And Father, we believe that, that you're a God that works behind the scenes on our behalf. Even when we don't see it, Father, we believe that you're a God that works behind the scenes, that your Holy Spirit is pursuing them, loving them, running them down, and we just ask that you would continue to chase them down. Father, we thank you for showing us what steadfast, unconditional love looks like. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, this is a love that's without regard to consequence consequence, God. We thank you for your steadfast love. Like the song sings, your reckless love. It chases us down. It fights till we're found. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Father, your love continues to fight for us. 
Father, there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up to get to us. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down to get to us. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for showing us what it is to love. And Jesus, I pray that we would love, pursue, fight, and protect our marriages the way that you do for your bride, your church. We love you. In your awesome name we pray. And everybody said.